Hello and welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the uh, Babylon 5 Season 4 episode, Moments of Transition. A very aptly named episode. Um, this has really uh, three major prongs to it. Uh, well, two and then one minor that will become major later. The Mimbari Civil War and then the Lida Bastard Garibaldi situation. And then, of course, the ending with Sheridan. Um, let's let's touch on the Psychor Lita Bester thing first. So there's a lot of interesting things being done here. Um, I like how uh, Jameis is using uh, the Psychor, the, the the way telepaths are treated in human society, and uh, Psychor's monopoly on uh you know hiring out freelance telepaths to basically talk about um the difficulties of getting a job when you're not part of a particular organization or you're homeless um you know uh because these people require you know you know certain kinds of references uh they have certain legal matters they have to take care of and blah 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 and because lita is not part of the side course basically all avenues of business is completely out of her purview by being a blip by being a non-side core telepath that immediately chops her off of all human business period she's not allowed to uh use her telepathy for commercial gain uh, and this r reminds me of a lot of difficulties I, I've heard that uh, that uh, homeless people go through of, uh, you know, you you need to prove that you live somewhere when you don't. Uh, you need to have a phone. Well, most likely you don't. Uh, you need to have references. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. You know, um, all this stuff. And then that sort of regulates you to a certain subsector of jobs, which aren't exactly the best when it comes to uh, worker safety, mental health, or monetary gain to begin with. And it sort of funnels you into a, um, a sort of avenue leading to more difficulties it's the same problem that affects um you know uh returning citizens uh who have returned from after a time in prison uh you know that is forever on their record and a lot of companies the moment they hear about it they just sh shut down the application process no ifs ands or buts about it and um you know this person could have turned around they could have made something of themselves you know uh gotten their life together you don't know you got to see them through but a lot of legality and whatnot and uh just cautionary uh, human caution in general prevents us from really looking at that kind of stuff and treat treat humans ordinary ordinary people just living their life as numbers on the page and if those numbers on the page don't add up that they just you know don't care well you know then you're not gonna get the job you're, you know you're not available for that um and it's a very callous way to look at people um and i like how james is using this setup to kind of examine that uh uh not, not fully uh but 
any way that gets you thinking about it. Um, and Lita just keeps, you know, running against a brick wall. You know, she can't get any, uh, you know, uh, job at all, really, as a commercial telepath, because she has, uh, she cut off all ties to the Psychor, and so she is technically illegal, and, uh, you know, they could get into severe trouble hiring her. She's in a, in a, a set of crew quarters that it was given to her on lease by the Vorlon government. The Vorlons are gone. There's no one there paying her bill anymore. So unless she can pay it, she's got to move out. Uh, and I like that scene where Zack comes to talk to her because it kind of stings a little. Like, she talks about how she she's glad it came from him in a way. Uh, that she has to move out. But... It also is the sad part that he's the only one out of the major, um, you know, core staff of B5 to show any kind of kindness and remorse for her current situation. You know, being used as a tool and, I mean, thrown aside as soon as she wasn't useful anymore. You know, um, used and abused. He's the only one that's really shown any kind of... Uh, you know, kindness, and obviously that is regulated to the fact that he does have feelings for her romantically, but beyond that, that that merely gives him the motivation to help. That doesn't mean that he wouldn't help without it. And so him coming to tell her she's got to move out, you know, while it's nice to hear that from a friend, it's also the worst thing because then you're at the purview of the fact that your friend, you know, the person close to you is witnessing you at your all-time lowest which can be humiliating and miserable and she goes to Garibaldi and she's like hey I need a job you're you're working you know as you know in the private sector now hire me out and what I like is that Garibaldi does not trust telepaths he never has but he's willing to hire Lita just to piss off Bester and that, that kind of shows that even though Garibaldi has changed somewhat this season, and I'm not getting into why or what has caused it, we do know that there is something behind it. Um, and that's a bit on the nose in this episode. But he's still himself in certain aspects, such as he personally dislikes Bester a whole lot. So therefore, he's going to do anything he can just to rub it in his nose, you know. Um... And so uh, he hires Lita, and of course Edgar's someone who is creating a you know uh, a vaccine for telepaths to help them through this genetic mutation. Doesn't trust telepaths, and he doesn't want them working for his organization or anybody associated with his organization. Isn't that a bit strange? Hmm. Uh, then you have Bester coming on board, and he's there. For multitude of reasons, um, but first and foremost, he's there to uh, make a deal with Lita, and it's it's your classic deal with the devil move. It's a contract signed in blood. Uh, you know she's got no choice. She's in a corner, um, and this is the situation in which, you know, if she wants to keep her livelihood, keep her life afloat, then she's going to have to make the deal with the snake. And that's what she does. And, you know, he, of course, uh, is is willing to, you know, 
put her on the special list so that the Psychor won't, you know, invade her privacy. But when she passes from this world, they get exclusive rights to her body to dissect and experiment with as much as they want. Um, and I like how when when Bester does his voiceover, um, which I have an issue with that voiceover, but I'll get to that in a second. I like it how we see her putting on, you know, the, the Psychor gloves, the Psychor emblem, and she's upset. You know, she has fought long and hard to get away from the situation, and now she's found herself back in square one, right where she was since the gathering. You know, um, this is not a great time for her, uh, and, uh, you know, Bester gloating over it, about how much he's accomplished ever since he got on the station, he got, you know, the two things he wanted, um is, you know, perfect for him. Uh, and it it really drives home the tragedy of Lita in this episode. Now, the problem with Bester's voiceover is the exact same problem with his monologue to his lover a few episodes back earlier this season. It's way on the nose. We know that, that Garibaldi is is being manipulated by something, being changed by something. And we know from episode two of this season that it was the Psychor is somehow involved in that. Then to have Bester in one episode say that he's he's caused you know he's he's created a problem that's going to hurt them closer than the closer to their heart and more uh more powerful than they can imagine and in this episode saying i've pushed garibaldi closer to where i need him it's basically confirming bester is behind everything and i think that is a problem um because I'll leave it up to you if you don't want to know the spoiler of what what you think is going on. But it's very clear that Psychor is involved, and most likely Bester is involved, and is a major player in whatever is going on with Garibaldi. And I think that lessens the impact of things coming in the not-too-distant future in a couple episodes. But it's still a good reveal what we get there. Um... Now let's go into the Membari Civil War. Some people dislike the way this is handled. I do not. I think it's perfect because it's very Membari. This is the kind of situation in which, you know, there can be no winner, there can be no loser. It's just miserable. This is a civil war, and civil wars are a mess. Uh, and it's all between the warring and the religious caste and as i've pointed out time and time again since the gathering the mimbari are obsessed with ritual tradition and keeping in a certain code of ethics and honor uh they will bend it to their will but they do reside in that mindset in that rigidity is what caused the fractures between the cast to begin with. Uh, and so you have a situation in which uh, Shakiri, the leader of the warrior cast, wants to completely and utterly dominate the religious cast. 
just knocks him down a peg. And Nerun, his second, is like, you know, our duty as a warrior is to preserve life, is to protect life. Um, and what you are doing is in violation of that. And Shakiri's response is, no, our, our, the, the, the calling of our heart as a warrior cast is to fight. And if, you know, and because we are Minbari, because we are reborn over and over and over again in the next generations and, and so forth, we are the universe made manifest, death really doesn't matter. He's using Membari traditionalism to mask his own bigotry, his own hatred, and his own need for violence. And it's very classic Membari. And Nerun is seeing right through him. He's like, he, he realizes that this is not the warrior caste that he is a part of. He swore himself to protect his people. To protect life. And now he is taking the life of his people. For what? Just so one person can. Claim superiority in a. You know pissing contest argument. About how things should be handled. Um, and I was hinting at this last. Last week. In the fact that. Yeah Nerun is completely disillusioned. With the warrior cast. He completely disagrees. Uh, which is why he struck a deal with uh, Delenn to schedule the surrender, the ceasefire, uh, in in hopes of, you know, uh, fixing the situation in uh, resolving it as quickly and as peacefully as possible. And Delenn perfectly takes them to the Starfire Wheel. It was the it's the great equalizer of the Mimbari people. It is so perfectly Mimbari. The Mimbari exist in this realm of traditionalism, but they also believe in the calling of your heart, the need to for your beliefs and your actions to be one, to be the right person at the right place at the right time. So the Starfire Wheel back in their olden days, over a thousand years ago, was used to resolve disputes between the castes long, long ago, uh, before the time of Valen. And basically what it does is it forces the leaders of each side to come in and prove their beliefs to be right and just. They're, they have to take the bullet for their people to prove, with a, within a shadow of a doubt, that they believe truly in the calling of their heart. Uh, and that is Shakiri's undoing is because he does not believe in the calling of his heart. That was all pretense. All he wants to do is fight. Because, uh, you know, the, that's what he believes in. He has no moral center or political beliefs. It is just anger and hatred, and that's it. And so his cowardice shows, and that's why that's when Nerun has that wonderful scene where he's like, "No, I I'm defending my people. That's who you should be serving. You know, not not yourself, your people, your caste." Uh, and it's it's very very Delenn to force people to acknowledge the problems within their society to go the the she is an idealist i've talked about this many many times but 
the thing is, is that she's ultimately right. In order to have a just cause, you must believe in it wholly and sincerely. Um, and if you don't, you're, you know, what is the point? And, the, and by calling out Mimbari traditionalism, which is the exact same thing that got them into this mess, it's going to bring them out by proving to the Mimbari people that the calling of their heart is to be together, to be kind, to care, and to coexist. And Nehru's sacrifice is exactly what causes that to happen. Quite a fitting in for the man. His very first appearance in this show back in season one was a political situation amongst the Mimbari in which great leader who was religious caste who converted the warrior caste during the Earth Membari War, and is revered as this great leader, this great warrior, uh, was being had died, and he was being given a send off, uh, befitting of the warrior caste. However, Delenn severely disagreed with this because she knew deep down that the calling of his heart was religious, and so Nairun, realizing that, yes, he's a warrior. Yes, he believes in life and he believes in the sanctity of his people and preserving his people. But the warrior caste has been perverted and changed by people whose calling of their heart is impure. So the calling of his heart must switch to something that is pure, to Delen, to the religious caste. And his sacrifice of a warrior going to religious and becoming one, you know, the balance between the two, brings back the Membari people. And it is perfect. Many people cry foul and go, well, the the Membari Civil War, you know, was too quick. It was, it, It's a, probably a symptom of the Season 4 crunch and blah, 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 blah. To me, this was always the way it was going to go. There is no other possible way. If you wanted a big epic war, such as the Shadow War or the Coming Earth Civil War that starts in this very episode... And that's where you get the Membari are a kind of people that are rigid in the traditionalism, and everything they have to, they do has to reside within those traditions, those rituals. And Delenn uses that to stop the bickering, stop the fighting, and it's perfect. And I like how when she reconstructs, you know, the the Grey Council, she brings. You know, a certain amount of uh, warrior, certain amount of religious, and then primarily dominant, five uh, worker. You know, um, the imbalance between the Great Council was always a problem. The many of the worker and the religious and the and the warriors disagreed. But there was always a balance because there was a nine. And there was the one above the nine who counseled them. And then when they got rid of that, there was just the nine. And they constantly bickered and complained. And then uh later, season two, you have Nairun being instituted uh in place of Delin who was religious, so now he's warrior, so now the warriors have the the larger casting vote within the Great Council. And then Delenn dissolves the Great Council 
during the Shadow War, and now she reinstates it and puts the workers as the dominant force. The religious and the warrior are now there to counsel the worker. She perfectly states it. Religion and war must serve the people. They cannot dominate the people. They are for the people. Um, it is it is perfect because I, I talked about how early on in early seasons, especially season one, there was this constant talk of the two castes. The two castes being, uh, you know, warrior and religious. But yet we actively saw worker caste Mimbari in the background. And then in later seasons, the worker caste was mentioned far more often. So this kind of supplants the idea that, yeah, the worker caste, who are basically analogous for ordinary citizens in the Membari world, you have the priests, you have the military, you have the workers, the citizens, the normal ordinary people, they were forgotten in this power play, this pissing contest between the priests and the military. Uh, and that is how she resolves this incredibly messy, incredibly bloody war by using Mimbari traditionalism, the very thing that brought them there, to get them out. Very smart move by JMS, and very befitting of the themes of everything that was going on with the Mimbari since season one. Uh, and speaks a lot to uh, a lot of civil wars we've seen in our past. Uh, Mira Ferlin uh, talked, you know, the woman who played Dylan, who's sadly now gone. Um, she talked to James about how a lot of the, the, the Membari Civil War stuff was reminiscent of her own home country of Yugoslavia when it was going through its civil war, how that reminded a lot of her of that situation. Um, you know, there's this underlying belief in civil wars that each side is the true patriots. And patriotism is what got them here, and patriotism is what's going to get them out. You know? And not jingoism. Jingoism is a unhealthy thing, birthed by nationalism. Patriotism, however, is a different thing entirely. Now, the that, that ending. What I like is that as befitting of this title, Moments of Transition, you have a situation in which something ends, but something begins. The Membari Civil War is resolved. Lita is, you know, business problems have been resolved. Uh, Garibaldi is being, you know, pushed further and further away. And the Earth Civil War finally starts by the Clark regime directly attacking civilian targets. They're not discriminating anymore. They directly attacked transport ships full of civilians that were trying to get out of any kind of war zone. In effect, this is a war crime. And as Sheridan, you know, his his emotions flare up because he's just witnessed his own people, to, you know, do something that is completely and utterly immortal and illegal, and as someone who is a mortal, and as full-on true belief in the power of the military to protect and serve the people, uh, the true ideal of a military, that is abhorrent to him, and that that's his last straw. And so now, 
that your civil war begins in earnest. It's as Dr. Manhattan says to Adrian Veidt and Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, Watchmen. Nothing ends, Adrian. Nothing ever ends. So we got some big stuff on the horizon. Until then, see you next time. Bye.